trust you have your Bibles with you this morning, uh, or at least your smartphone to follow along uh, in the scriptures. So let's get into the Word of God. I want you to open up to Psalm 132. Uh, for those of you who've been with us over the summer, we have been in the Songs of Ascent, the section of the Psalms uh, in the 120 to the 134. Uh, uh, so dive in together. Let's grab our Bibles and dig right in. This psalm uh, is unique, uh, a unique song of ascent in these 15 chapters. As I said last week, this one is the longest of the 15. So uh, we're going to read it, uh, and it's gonna, you're going to see right away that compared to last week, it's much longer. But there is something so much more unique about this, uh, this psalm, this song of ascent, that I think reveals to us a very core human need. So as we read this, be looking for that. What is the need? What is the crave of the human heart that it is really looking out for and crying out to God for? Uh, and also, I think that this psalm really uh, broadens the horizon. I think it expands our vision for what kinds of prayers that we bring before God. So I think it's revealing a core human need, and I think it's also expanding our vision for what kinds of prayers that we bring before God. So let's dig right in together. Psalm 132 says this, Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, we have heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of Jar. Let us go, go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness, and let your saints Shout for joy for the sake of your servant David. Do not turn away the face of your anointed one. Verse 11. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant, in my testimonies, that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for His dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation. And her saints will shout 
for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord abides forever. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen. This is a prayer. And it is a plead, or it is a plea for God, the Lord, to remember. Right? That's the opening verse. Remember, O Lord. As if the Lord would forget. Right? Remember, O Lord. In David's favor, he's telling the Lord, he's pleading with the Lord, don't forget David. Don't forget David. Don't forget the hardships that he endured. Don't forget what David went through. Don't forget the, the oath that he made to the Lord, the way he swore to the Lord, the vow that he made to the mighty one of Jacob. Don't forget his hardship. Don't forget the oath that he made. And really, don't forget about his desire. Right? Look at 3 through 5. He would not enter the house, his house. He would not go to bed. He would not give sleep to his eyes or slumber to his eyelids until he found a place for the Lord. Until he found a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. And so we see the psalmist is crying out to the Lord, don't forget all that David went through. Don't forget the vow that he made. Don't forget the desire in his heart for there to be a place for God to dwell in the midst of his people. We see, uh, as we hear this, uh, I think it's really important that we understand the historical background for this plea, for this prayer. You read uh, these verses and it seems, I don't know, the first few times I read it, it was just like, what in the world is going on here? Raise your hand if you were feeling that the first time you read it. I was. Actually, last night at about 9 o'clock, I'm still wondering, what in the world? No, I'm just kidding. Still a little bit. It's a lot going on here and it's hard to understand. It's hard for the, for the 2017 reader to connect. They found what in Ephrathah? They, they found it in the fields of Jar or Jar. What's going on here? Verses 8 through 10. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. What's going on here? We see this cry of the psalmist for, for don't forget David. Don't forget his desire. Don't forget his oath. And the more that you see and understand what's going on here, I think it really pulls out a core crave of the people of Israel and really a core craving in the heart of every human being. See, what we see here is these scenarios look back on uh, 2 Samuel. You go back to 2 Samuel chapter 5, really through chapter 7. David is anointed king at Hebron. He goes into battle and he defeats the Philistines. 
and uh, the Ark of the Covenant, right? You see that, uh, that reference to it in verse 8, right? He's talking about you going to your resting place and the Ark of your might. Okay, so what's going on here? Well, it's a reference to the Ark of the Covenant, which was, back in 2 Samuel chapter 5, was in the house of Abinadab. And he desired to bring the Ark of the Covenant into the city of David, into Jerusalem. And so they begin to bring it, and we know the, the tragic story that reveals the holiness of God, where Uzzah uh, puts his hand on it as it slipped in the mud kind of a thing, and he dies. And David is afraid. You know, if, if that happens to Uzzah, what's going to happen to me? And so they put it in the house of Obed-Edom, and he hears that as it's in the house of Obed-Edom, that there's blessing that comes to the house of Obed-Edom. And then he proceeds to bring the ark into Jerusalem with such celebration and dancing, so much celebration and dancing that, that David's wife looks at him and says, dude, you're, you've completely lost your mind. What are you doing dancing around? Right? You've lost all sense of dignity in, in, in before your people. He's celebrating the, the bringing of the ark of the covenant into, uh, into Jerusalem. So he's bringing this in, this desire. He's bringing in the ark based on his desire to, uh, to have a place for the Lord to dwell amongst his people. Verses 6 through 8, I'm sorry, 8 through 10, also uh, a reference, almost quoted verbatim, from 2 Chronicles chapter 6, where Solomon, the son of David, is, is dedicating the temple. And in the process of, of bringing the Ark of the Covenant into the temple, and him dedicating it, Solomon is closing out his, his prayer of dedication with these very words, Arise, O Lord, go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness. Let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant, David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. So even Solomon, at the dedication of the temple, is, is remembering David. His desire, his oath, remembering the promise that was made to David by the Lord as well. What is going on here? Bottom line, these, this opening prayer, verses 1 through 10, reveals the fact that, that the people of God throughout the ages have always hoped and prayed for the Lord's presence to be in their midst. So the, 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 the prayer to remember David, right? To the desire of David, the oath of David, for there to be a resting place for the Lord in the midst of His people. For, for the prayer of Solomon, arise, go to your resting place. It's because it was part of the people of God, their prayer, their hope, their expectation, really their identity, that they would be a people who knew and enjoyed the presence of their God. That God would be with them. And so that's really, at the end of the day, the, 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 the need that is revealed and the, the desire that they share as God's people. And that's exactly what the Ark of the Covenant symbolizes and signifies. You see, the bringing of the Ark into Jerusalem 
was really symbolically the coming of the Lord's presence in the midst of His people. If you look back at Exodus chapter 25, we see this very thing. He says in the instructions, the Lord is saying, I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of God. You see, God made a promise that He would be with them, that He would speak with His people in above this Ark of the Covenant. And so again, to reiterate, just so that we understand what's going on here, for the Ark to come into the city of God, to be in, uh, to be in Jerusalem, was to mean that God was present in the midst of His people. And that is what this prayer really is all about. This yearning in the people of God. Be with us, O God. Do not be far from us. Be near to us. Come live amongst us. This is so much more than, than Chronicles in Samuel. This longing runs so much deeper than those days. It goes back all the way to Eden, doesn't it? This yearning, this longing, is, goes all the way back to Eden. This yearning is here because there's been great losing in our human experience. You see, men and women were made in the image of God. They were made to live in His presence. To enjoy nearness, union, closeness. We were made to live in that kind of close connection with God. And so the reason there is a people crying out for His presence is because there is a sad, tragic reality of His absence based on our sin and rebellion against God. This crave, this cry in the human soul goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 where we lost what was so valuable to life what brought so much joy and perfection to the human experience. The presence of God. And so we hear this yearning and longing being a part of the people of God throughout all of redemptive history because it's not there. He's not present. He's absent from human experience. We know that originally Adam and Eve were made to live in His garden, under His rule, under His reign, in His place, enjoying His presence, that the Lord walked in the midst of the garden with them. But when they chose to give in to the lure of the serpent, what was their first response to that? What did they do? You tell me. They hid. They hid from the presence of God. They didn't want to be anywhere near God. They ran and they hid. And the Lord looked for them. Where are you? You see, 
Sin has caused separation, absence. And then because of their punishment and being banished from the Garden of Eden, now they were separate from God. That fallen humanity no longer experiences the joy of that kind of connection, that kind of presence with the God that made them in His image. You think about the consequence that the Lord put before them. It was death. And what makes death so difficult? Separation. That's what, death, what makes death so difficult. And, and one of my pet peeves, and please, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm not trying to, be, I'm not trying to upset anybody. I'm not trying to be insensitive at all. It's, please, that's not my heart, okay? But one of my pet peeves is when you hear people at, at death say, they're steer, still here with us. It's okay, they're steer, still here with us. And I'm sitting there and saying, no, they're not. That's why this is so painful and so difficult, because clearly they are not here with us. We are separate from them. That's the great pain of death. That's the great uh, pain that that sin has caused, that we are not with them anymore. Tell me I'm not speaking just plain truth, whether we, it's comfortable for us or not. We're not with them anymore. And when we sinned against God, there was great separation, uh, uh, an insurmountable chasm, an absence of God in human experience. And so this yearning comes out of it. And so what happens from Genesis 4 on? Is the human being suffering from exile and banishment from the presence of God that the presence of God brings so much blessing. They, they're, in, they're cursed. They crave the presence of God. And yet we also see that there's a, a history recorded of the fact that people don't want anything to do with the presence of God. They get used to living without the presence of God. And actually, they convince themselves that there's a substitute for the presence of God and they begin to pursue substitutes for the presence of God. But here's the deal. There are no substitutes for the presence of Almighty God in your life. There are no, no substitutes. There are no conveniences, comforts in this world that can be a substitute for the life-giving blessing of the presence of God in your life. You see, this prayer brings us right into the history of redemption. It takes us out of the practical realities of our life, at least for the moment, about all the things that we're wrestling with and struggling with, all the things that our prayers would be in coming before God, the immediate things on our mind. It takes us, it gives a pause at least on that and says, look at history. Look at what has been lost. What do you really want? from the Lord. And we see the psalmist is saying, listen, remember these desires, remember these craves, and remember these promises that you have made. It's been a hope and prayer of God's people to know and experience the Lord's presence. Remember David. He desired a resting place 
for you in the midst of his people. Remember uh, what Solomon said, arise, go to your resting place. This crave for God to be with us. It's the hope and prayer of the Lord's people throughout the ages that God would be present in our midst. This prayer is, I think, coming out of a desire, but I think even more so, I think it comes out of something more significant, actually, than just human desires and craving. The sense of feeling empty and alone. Right? You say, yeah, there is a sense where I, I feel the emptiness that comes with God's absence. And so there's something inside of me because I've been made in the image of God that is crying out for divine connection, some sort of divine presence in my life, something beyond me to come and live with me. There's that sense of emptiness and feeling a sense of just disconnection and feeling alone. I think that's here. But I think that's secondary, tertiary, to where this prayer is really coming from. If you look at verses 11 through 18, you see the basis, the foundation of this kind of prayer for God to remember David. It's on the basis of the promises that he made to his people concerning David. See, they're praying these prayers because of the promises that God made. Not just because of some subjective yearning in their heart. If it were not for the initiative of God to show up in Egypt and to redeem them out, if it were not the initiative of God to go to Abraham and make a covenant with him, if it were not for the initiative and the revelation of God in history, these people would have no concept of crying out for his presence. You see, they cry out for God's presence because the Lord promised to give it. This prayer is built on and because of promises the Lord has made. Look, right? The Lord swore an oath to David. It wasn't just David vowing. It was the Lord that swore an oath to David. Look at verse 13. The Lord has chosen Zion. The Lord in His sovereignty and in His grace, according to His purposes and His design, chose Zion, Jerusalem, at least according to the Old Covenant, as the city where He would live and dwell amongst His people. See, this is based on promises. And I wonder now, this morning, what what does your prayer life really consist of? If you're to evaluate you're pleased before the Lord. You're to evaluate your supplications, the, the requests that you bring to God on a daily basis. We might get crickets, maybe revealing a, a pretty dormant, at best, maybe non-existent prayer life, but just throwing it out there, what, what does your prayer life consist of? Meaning, what are you asking God for? And why are you asking Him for it? We try to try <laughs> to teach our children how to pray. When they were really young, we had a real simple formula. You can like it or dislike it, whatever. Um, it was simple. 
we had three simple phrases that they had to complete. Okay, to show them that it's not just God give me uh, prayers, right? But it was Lord, I praise you for you end it. So we we'll say to them tonight, we're going to pray the Lord, I praise you for us. And so each person, even if it's a simple sentence, would follow that train. I praise you for X, Y, right? Or you would say, Lord, I thank you for. So we give them an opportunity to thank the Lord. Or you would say, Lord, I need you for. Right? That's where we always go. The last, Lord, I need you. Right? We oftentimes can view prayer as uh, like approaching a vending machine. I put a prayer in, I get a cookie out. We can often do that, right? We can pray for the felt needs and cravings only, the practical realities on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday only. Help me figure this out. Help me get through this. Lord, I need you, I need you, I need you. Listen, pray those prayers. Pray those prayers. But often we neglect the thank yous, and surely we neglect the I praise yous. And I think my vision for prayer was even expanded when I was reading this psalm. See, the Lord made promises. Imagine praying for promises that have been made already. Imagine that. Imagine going to God and asking for something He's already promised to give you. I think that's what we're seeing here. And that's hard for us today because we have such an individualistic approach. Right? This corporate prayer of remember David. Remember the promises that you've made to your people. It's hard for us to think about the promises that He's made to the church. And actually, every time we read the Bible and we see promises that have been made to the church, man, we are good at making that our own, aren't we? This is a promise to me. Because that's our framework. That's our DNA. That's our box. Individualism. We approach everything like isolated individuals that are just simply living out the me and Jesus spirituality. But what we see here is a corporate prayer for the fulfillment of the promises that God has made to His people. And I think that expands our vision for the kind of praying that we should be doing. There's a corporate aspect. There's a redemptive history that's in this. It's so much bigger than just me and my felt needs and cravings. Remember David, O Lord. Arise, O Lord. Go to your resting place. On the basis of this, you made an oath to David. You promised that one of your sons would sit on your throne, on his throne, Forever, or sit on your throne forever. You made a promise to place a king in your city, in the line of David. You made that promise. Lord, don't forget that promise. Fulfill that promise, Lord. Praying for, really, leaning into a corporate prayer on behalf of a people in accordance with God's promises. When's the last time your prayers we're full of those kind of yearnings and longings. When's the last time you asked God for Him to fulfill a promise that He's made 
to the church, to God's people. I think it expands our vision. He swore an oath to David, a sure oath which he will not turn back. You can bet the farm on it. He's faithful to keep every one of his promises. One of your sons I will set on your throne. Their sons also shall sit on your throne forever. The Lord chose Zion. He's desired it for his dwelling place. You see, it's not just about David's desires. It's about the Lord's desires and his purposes and his plans. We need to get in tune with those things in our prayer life. Then we see a list of blessings that would come with that. I will dwell. Here I will dwell. For I have desired it. His presence. I will abundantly bless her provisions. There's provision that comes with His presence. Right? There's salvation. I will clothe her priests with salvation. Her saints with with shouts of joy. An anointed king. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I've prepared a lamp for my anointed. Protection and victory over enemies. I will clothe his enemies with shame, but on him his crown will shine. You see, the Lord, when he's present with his people, it's all those blessings that come with it. That's why they're craving for it. That's why you're crying out for it. Is because if the Lord is present in the midst of His people, that means His people will enjoy all of these blessings that we need and that we crave. So He's praying the psalmist because of the promises that the Lord has made. And here's the wonderful news today that they didn't get to hear originally when they penned this psalm. Pen might be Maybe not the best word for the day, but you get my point. You see, we see history being recorded in terms of fulfillment. This prayer has been answered. I want you to see that this morning. That this crave, this yearning, these promises of God, this prayer that goes before the Lord and says, Do this, O God. Go to your resting place. O Lord, arise and come. You in the ark of your might. Meaning, your presence in the midst of your people. Clothe them, clothe your people with righteousness. Give them reason to shout for joy. This prayer, this craving, this promise has been fulfilled and answered in Jesus Christ. See, we, don't, we, we, we can read this prayer, we can join in and identify with the yearning and the craving, but we're not awaiting its fulfillment, people of God. It's been answered in Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is that son of David that sits on his throne and reigns eternally. Matthew chapter 1 records that. The other gospel accounts. Record the fact that God made this promise that that one of David's sons would sit on the throne. And guess what? He came into the world. And His name is Jesus. And that in that moment, in the incarnation, we see God with us. John chapter 1. God with us. The Word became flesh. And He tabernacled with us. God with us. Jesus 
We no longer have to wait in anticipation for God to be with us. He has done so perfectly in Jesus Christ. So if you're wondering, when will God come to me? God has never revealed Himself to me personally. Hogwash. He has come in the person of Jesus Christ. He has come and made Himself present and manifest in human history. We have every reason to look back on fulfillment and faithfulness and say, God has kept His promise to be with us in Jesus Christ. The Incarnation shows that. He came, He lived, revealed the glory of God, His crucifixion and His resurrection. Fulfilled all the promises of a suffering servant who would die on behalf of the people to restore them back into relationship with God. Right, All the new covenant promises that came in Jeremiah and Ezekiel about being filled with the Spirit about no longer being far from Him, but truly knowing the Lord and having victory over our enemies, Satan, sin, and death. All of those things, all of those new covenant promises are fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We're not waiting for fulfillment. This yearning, this hope in the people of God for God to be present with His people, it has been fulfilled. We're no longer waiting for it. That's a cause for celebration. That's a cause for praise. That's a cause for worship. Let us go, it says, and worship at His footstool. Let us go to His dwelling place. That means, let us go to Jesus. For it's in Jesus that the fullness of deity dwells bodily. Colossians chapter 1. We don't need to search any longer for a place for the Lord to dwell. It's in the person of Jesus And we know that by His promises to His disciples that the Spirit of God would come upon the new covenant community, which is not Israel, but the church of Jesus Christ. That's the people of God. The new covenant people of God. We know that the Spirit of God would, He said the Spirit would come, the, the counselor, the advocate, He would come. And He will be with you. Remember that in John chapter 14, 15? He will be with you, and oh, by the way, He will live in you. That you, the church, will be the temple of the living God. That it will no longer be a physical location on top of a mountain in one isolated nation known as Israel. But God would indwell His people wherever they are in this world. And wherever the people of God go, guess what, as Dwight Smith, the temple goes The temple is on the road. Every man, woman, and child, regardless of language, ethnicity, background, no matter how far sin had taken them, it was no longer ethnic, it was no longer nationalistic, but the new covenant people of God, the church, the bride of Jesus Christ, that would be the temple of the living God. The Spirit of God came on Pentecost, right? And filled the church. This presence, just as Jesus promised. You see, He's kept these promises. A dwelling place for God. A king to sit on the throne. This is Jesus and His bride, the church. And Jesus has accomplished this perfectly. Amen? This is cause for celebration. 
you came in this morning on a bad mood. Well, we give you good news today. God has kept every one of His promises. He has uh, given us our deepest desire in which there is no substitute. His presence. He did not forget David. Amen? He did not forget David. He did not forget Solomon. He did not forget uh, the promises that he made to Abraham. He did not forget he is faithful to do all that he said he would do. I think that this gives us a cause for being a people who live in constant praise. Constant praise. You see, these people were worshiping and going to the festivals and the feasts, the songs of ascent, right? They were journeying from wherever they lived and they were going to worship God. And what did they do? They heard of these promises and they looked back on historical evidence of God's faithfulness in Egypt through Joshua, where he said, by the way, I will be with you wherever you go. You remember that, Joshua chapter 1? And then he saw the judges raising up deliverers. And the King David, these people looked back on that history and saw that God was faithful to them. But imagine the kind of view that we have, looking back on all of that history and also seeing the the fulfillment of all of those promises in Jesus Christ and the outworking of those promises in the ministry of the church throughout the last 2,000 years. We look back on a faithfulness that they did not get to enjoy. So we should all the more be celebrating what God has done in history. Praise Jesus. Praise God. Praise Father, Son, and Spirit. We should be living in constant doxology. But that will mean that we will have to get out of just being consumed with daily problems and circumstances. So we're a people living in celebration. The faithfulness of God in Christ. And we're a people constantly living dependently upon God in prayer. You see, we've got to get out of all the... No, that's not what I mean to say. We have to add to our crying out to the Father for every temporal need that we have. We need to do that. And you know, I think it would be fair in this moment to look at our people and just say, God knows exactly what you're facing. He is sympathetic to everything that is causing you despair and exhaustion and uh, just depression, anxiety, whatever you're fearing in the moment, whatever obstacle you face, The Lord is sympathetic and He cares and He loves. And unlike me, no matter how many times you say His name and beg for His help, He never grows weary of hearing it. Right? Our kids come to us and it's like, dude, if you say my name one more time, I might strangle you. Yes, I know I'll go to jail, but at least I won't hear that anymore. You get like that as a parent sometimes, right? You feel like your name is a swear word, right? Quote, unquote, Doreen Macy. God never feels like his name is a swear word when his children come into his presence. He never grows weary with your requests. Every temporal circumstance that you face, every tear that you shed, he sees and he cares and he loves and he holds you. He is your shepherd. But we need to add to these things prayers of 
praise, prayers of dependence, prayers that are rooted in promises to his people. We need to pray redemptive history. Right? Seems kind of silly. Well, why would I go ask God for something he's already going to give me? He loves it. He loves it. And imagine when your desires line up with his, the kind of joy and peace that comes with that, right? Isn't that what's happening here? David's desire for a place, the Lord's desire for a place. I mean, David envisioned a temple, physical temple, but the Lord envisioned so much more. But at the end of the day, they both wanted to be together. People wanted the Lord, and the Lord wanted his people. And I think oftentimes our prayer lives could be infused with a lot more life and joy when we come to him asking for the things we know he wants in human history. When's the last time we prayed for the glory of God in the world? Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. When was the last time we said, Lord, may your presence be manifest and powerful amongst your church throughout the world? When's the last time you were worried and concerned about that? When's the last time you went before the Lord and said, God, build your church. Sanctify and purify your people. Because Jesus said, I'll build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. When's the last time we said, may the gospel of Jesus Christ spread all throughout the globe. That every man, woman, and child would have repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel. We know that the Lord wants the church to be a witness and has empowered the church to be a witness throughout the globe. When's the last time we prayed for the church's witness throughout the globe? When's the last time we prayed that the world would be convicted in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment? When's the last time we prayed that the saints would persevere in the face of persecution? No one will take them out of my hand promise of God. When's the last time you prayed that Satan would be crushed and sent into the lake of fire where he belongs? When's the last time you prayed for true peace among the nations? Not just some sort of truce between CNN and Fox. When's the last time You said in your prayers, come, Lord Jesus, come. Because he promised he would return. You praying for his return? Come, Lord Jesus, come. May we be a people dependent in prayer. And last, I'm just going to say this and close out. May we be a people living in expectation. You see, we have seen the fulfillment of these promises but there are still more promises to be fully realized. We are a people who live in a world that has sin present within it. Every promise has been kept to David, but there are new covenant promises that we still await their fulfillment. But again, we can look back on God's redemptive history and know for sure that He'll be faithful to keep every one of the promises that He said so we can face every temporal circumstance with a sense of expectation. We can reimagine our eternity. That one day we will be with Him in the new Jerusalem, enjoying His presence. So vast and beautiful that we won't even need the sun anymore. It'll just shine. 
pretty awesome. The knowledge that God will be faithful to every one of the promises that he's made, that reshapes our whole identity in this world. People that have hope. No matter how hard Mondays get, man, we have so much to look forward to because of the redemptive plan of God in Christ. Amen? We're a people that live in celebration, dependency, and expectation. No one could convince us otherwise because not we're blind in our faith like just jumping off a cliff. No. Redemptive history shows and gives assurance that when God makes a promise, He keeps it. Where are you with that today? Do you cry out and crave God's presence? Do you feel far from Him due to sin? Whether being sinned against or your own sins? Maybe the time has come for you to cry out that the Lord would come into your heart and your life to fill you with the Spirit by faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe it's time to stop looking for substitutes for the presence of God. Maybe it's time to lay down our idols and say these just don't fulfill the way Christ does. I pray that if you're wrestling with that today, that you would repent and turn from your sin, that you'd run into the gracious arms of Almighty God, and you'd rest in His promises, and you'd be filled with His presence, forgiven of all your sins, and that you would know what it's like to be in close connection, eternal connection with the God that made you for that very purpose. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we praise you that you did not forget your promises to David. You did not ignore his prayers that were based on those promises. That you have fulfilled everything in Jesus Christ, the one Savior and Lord, the great King of all, who rules and reigns forever. All hail King Jesus. We pray. Lord, I just pray that as we continue to be here this morning in corporate worship that we would respond to this faithfulness with a sense of celebration, with a sense of dependency, with a sense of hope and expectation in all that you are and all that you have done and all that you will do. We give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.